Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're going to present an episode of an Orson Welles uh, comedy program with various factoids uh, mixed in. Uh, the title is Radio Almanac. The original air date is March the 1st of 1944. This is Orson Welles just saying hello before the show starts. This is your Radio Almanac for St. David's Day, the day after Leap Year Day, 1st of March, 1944. What says our nature guide and home physician, Dr. Snake Oil? Wasps are most troublesome at the latter end of the summer. Also, at the latter end of the wasps. Mm-hmm. An almanac brings you a little bit of just about everything. Here's our household hints department. To remove berry stains from teeth, take lemon from frigid air and rub against teeth. If it is too sour, take out teeth and rub against lemon. Welcome, one and all, to the sign of the flying red horse. Tonight and every night, at the same time, over these same stations, the makers of mobile gas and mobile oil bring you Orson Welles. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to show you what took place a couple of days ago in the Orson Welles offices in the Mercury Theater. Mercury Productions. Yes, this is Mr. Welles' office. Sorry, Mr. Welles can't be disturbed. Who? You want him to call you? <laughs> oh, then he'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Morgenthau. I want to see Mr. Wells and send you some rabbits. Uh, Mr. Wells didn't order any rabbits. I know that. I represent the Hotel Carlton. Mr. Wells did a magic show last week in our ball. Oh, you don't have to bother returning those rabbits he produced. I don't care what he produced. They're all over the joint now. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Grizzlehorn. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Okay, good morning. Have you seen Mr. Wells? The Brain? Yes, he's over at Grauman's Pomona, where Jane Eyre is playing. You mean he wants to see it? No, he's standing on the sidewalk in front of the theater taking bows. Well, he must be good. When I saw Jane Eyre at the end of the picture, a fellow got up in the back of the theater and yelled, Bravo! Bravo! Yeah, he does it every performance. <laughs> You must admit it's a beautiful love story. You mean between Jane Eyre and Edward Rochester? No, between Orson Welles and Orson Welles. <laughs> you said it. I want to pinch him. Uh-oh, the members of the Orson Welles Swoon Club. All three of them. <laughs> relax, girls, relax. Swoon bait isn't here yet. Thank heavens, I haven't got a good swoon left in me. All right, stop kissing my hand. Now, look here, Mr. Wells. I represent the Hotel Carson. I have here four crates of rabbits. I hope you'll be very happy with them. Uh, oh, girls, I've, I've got to have a talk with you. Girls, if things continue as they have, I should be forced to disband the Orson Welles Swoon Club. Oh, well, what's the matter, Wells? Well, I just will. What's wrong? Last night, I stepped out of the Brown Derby at the appointed hour, and what happened? Wait, it was the most mediocre swooning I've ever seen. I was with friends. I was never so humiliated in all my life. But you got up too soon. I had to. A truck was coming. How 
How many times must I tell you a swoon means nothing unless you roll in the gutter and tear your hair? But, If you swoon for me, you'll do as I tell you without regard for the consequences. But look what happened to my Gluskin. <laughs> Gluskin didn't get that way swooning. He's a victim of the scorched earth policy. <laughs> Very well, girls. You may go now. Oh, thanks, Wilson. If you hurry, girls. If you hurry, you'll be just in time for you know what. <laughs> Aggie, Aggie. <laughs> It's a wonderful picture. I know, but please, what time you You're stale. That's the trouble with all you girls. I think we'll have a little practice in swooning. Sit down, girls. Oh, no, no, Wilson, not again. Not with the ice pick. Be seated, girls. We must rehearse. Ready with the ice pick, Mr. Gristlehorn. Ready. Ready what? Oh, ready, master. <laughs> All right, girls, I shall open this door as a signal that I am entering. One, two. Oh, don't get up, girls. I'm not Frank Sinatra. Uh, girls, girls, come on into the inner sanctum. It's time for swoon practice. Yeah, but please, Mr. Wilder. I'm very, very sorry. I can't see anybody without an appointment. Oh. Excuse me, miss, I'd like to make an appointment to see Mr. Orson Wells. My name is Victor Moore. I'm sorry, Mr. Wells is very busy. Where can we reach you, Mr. Moore? Oh, you can always find me in the waiting room of the Acme Real Estate Office. I mean, uh, what is your address? Where are you living? In the waiting room of the Acme Real Estate Office. Well, um, don't you have an apartment? No, I've only been out here two years. <laughs> well, I did have a nice apartment last week at the Hotel Carton, but I was crowded out by a couple of rabbits. A couple of rabbits? Why didn't you put them out? Well, I was going to, but by the time I got to them, I was outnumbered. <laughs> I was very happy at the Carton Hotel. I had a wonderful cook. Best cook we ever had. She was with the family for hours. Uh, now can I see Mr. Wells? He can't be disturbed. Well, could I see him tomorrow? I'm afraid not. How about three weeks from next Tuesday? Uh, yes, that's all right. All right, I'll, I'll just sit here on this bench. <laughs> now look here, miss. What do you advise me to do with these 12 crates of rabbits? I advise you to get more crates. Good morning, young lady. You may inform Mr. Wells that I am here. Mr. Wells is in conference, Sonny. I presume the appellation Sonny is intended to be facetious. I am a member of Mr. Wells' church staff. My name is Noel Bufferman, B.S., Bachelor of Science, Q.K., Quiz Kid, and Ph.D., Doctor of Philosophy. How do you do? I'm Fanny Grimmett, M.D. M.D.? Merzy Dote. Have a seat. <laughs> I shall give Mr. Wells exactly 30 seconds in which to see me. That's selling them, Bob. Hey, are you waiting to see Mr. Wells? Yeah, I got an appointment three weeks from now. You mean you're going to sit on this bench for three weeks and wait for Mr. Wells? Oh, sure. It's a much nicer bench than the one I'm living in at the Acme Real Estate. <laughs> you're willing to sit on a bench three weeks to see one man? Is your pride that callous? Yeah, and that ain't all, Sonny. 
What are you, a man or a mouse? Oh, I'm a man. Here it is, right on my social security card. <laughs> Look, check mail. Don't believe everything you read. You're a jellyfish. That's right. You're wishy-washy. Well, you let people push you around. You got about as much aggressiveness as a flounder. That's not the way. You ought to be like a tiger protecting its young. Yeah, that's what I am, a tiger protecting its young. That's it. That's tough. Yeah, if anybody imposes on you, tear them limb from limb. Break them in half. If he hollers for mercy, don't give him any. You just watch this, fellas. I'll get in to see Mr. Wells. Young lady, I demand to see Mr. Wells immediately. Well, better still, I'll walk right in. Victor, why? Victor, why? I didn't know that was you out there. How have you been, Victor? You can't push me around. I'm a jellyfish. <laughs> why, Mr. Moore? Oh, I'm wise to you, Wells. You wish I was washy, but I'm wishy. <laughs> Victor, are you all right? Are you feeling well? I'm feeling fine. Yeah. <laughs> Never felt better in my life. <laughs> Let me get you some bicarbonate. <laughs> well, you can't bulldoze me, Wells. What do you think I am, a tiger? Well, I'm not. I'm a flounder protecting its young. Victor, believe me, I'm very happy to see you. I'm not trying to bulldoze you. Well, you better not, because if anybody imposes on me, I tear him from limb from limb. <laughs> I break him in half. And if he hollers, let me go. Yes? Any minute, my mouth. <laughs> I, I seem to see a pattern here. He thinks I detect the fine Italian hand of one Noel Bufferman. Have him enter, Mr. Grisselhorn. <laughs> Yes, Master Bufferman. Hey, Mr. Wells, what am I going to do with all these rabbits? Take them home for Easter. I think I ought to explain that this is a comedy program, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, last, uh, last week, we didn't tell the people it was a comedy program. Uh, of course, we told them afterwards, uh, and they laughed all the way through Gabriel Heater. Uh, we better get back to the script. Take them home for Easter. Uh, Master Bufferman, have you been poisoning the mind of Mr. Moore? Making him unhappy with his lot? Yeah, so why not? We've stood enough, Wells. This is revolution. Jellyfishes in the world, unite! You got nothing to lose but your jelly. Hooray! <laughs> the tree of liberty grows only when watered by the blood of tyrants. That's right, you're a tyrant, Wells, and when watered by the blood of tyrants, you know what happens? What? A tree grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> now look here, Wells. You're not being a tiger. And furthermore, what do you want me to do with all these rocks? Folks, the death rate of American automobiles today is shocking. So conserve your car. Let's look into the cooling system of your auto. There's a radiator, water jackets around the cylinders, a water pump, and thermostat. Every one of these must function on the beam must carry off the excess heat if your engine is to run efficiently. Since water isn't pure, deposits form, and rusting also sets in. If the tubes get clogged up and they're no bigger than a pencil, then your radiator's ruined. If the motor overheats, the cylinder block can crack. Parts are irreplaceable today, folks, so don't fool around. See your mobile gas dealer soon, tomorrow. Have him flush your radiator and clean out that scale and rust with mobile radiator flush. It scours and cleans each tiny tube. That's the cure. Now, the preventive. Mobile Hydrotone. Have this poured in to prevent new rust and scale from forming in your radiator for months to come. See that your car gets a break 
and not a breakdown. Take off to the sign of the flying red horse. Ask for mobile radiator flush and mobile hydrotone. Ladies and gentlemen, you like the King Cole Trio so much, we brought them back again. Here they are. King Cole Trio playing solid potato salad. Some folks like that potatoes lining, some prefer french fries. But I like my steaks with money, coleslaw on the side. Solid potato salad, that solid salad jack. Solid potato salad, boy, take a plate, fill it up and bring it right back. Solid potato salad, and let's have no yak jack. Solid potato salad, boy, take a plate, fill it up and bring it right back. The barber says to the burger, your skin looks slightly pallid, so I'll be
Beautifully, with dispatch and promptness, there appeared blossoms in their proper colors on all the trees in the land. Fooey, what do I care about the old blossoms? <laughs> How good! How without problems was life ahead for the citizens of the Provident State? Fooey, fooey, double fooey. <laughs> the railroad, the railroad ran extra trains to take each and every citizen out into the spring. There were first-class carriages with red plush upholstery and cerise curtains. There were second-class compartments with green herringbone sailcloth. Third-class A with wooden seats, softwood tailored to conform with the curves of the body. And third-class B with hard wooden benches non-conforming. And six-class carriages to stand up in. Uh, how about seventh-class? Enemies of the government and scoffers told of a seventh-class carriage that had no floor. Just a roof and sides in which the passengers had to run along the track. This, of course, was not so. Besides, there were no enemies of the government. Yeah, how about me? The Ministry of Justice had run all enemies of the government into the ground or successfully converted them. That ain't converted me! That is all but one man. That's me. The outsider, the one. That's me. By name, Krotzig, Emil. That's me. Who walked alone in his own disorderly path. I'll say I do. Emil Kratzig gets me. <laughs> there is a long official report under K. Kratzig, Emil, and the leaves of the official notebook of policeman Umlauf, pages 48 to 55, carry the story of the sad end of the incorrigible insubordinate Emil Kratzig. On the sunlit morning of a green May day when all in the city went out to take deep breaths and sing in the new light-flowered prints designed by the Ministry of Dress and Underwear, Kratzig <laughs> caught a cold in his head. The government doctor made the diagnosis. Stay in bed. No, I will not stay in bed. And in violation of the doctor's orders and with a high fever, he ran to the city hall. Policeman Umlauf observed it. Aha, the end is near when Herr Kratzig is coming to heal. In the city hall, Emil Kratzig passed by the bureaus of birth, taxation, and marriages and properly opened the door to room 54 on the second floor. Is this the bureau of funerals? It is. I want to order a funeral. Aha. Well, I will show you our illustrated booklet. Now, this is a first-class funeral, but it is not for you. First class is composed of the wagon, first class, rubber tire, six horses. There is besides a bishop and two priests, a band, the bells of all the churches ring. There is a salute of guns, incense, and 12 golden candelabra are used with scented beeswax candles. Just, just what I always wanted. That is not for you. Huh? Here we have... Here we have the second-class funeral, four horses, three priests, but no bishop, incense, the bells of half the churches, new guns, and plain unscented candles. I like scented candles, brother. <laughs> that is not for you. <laughs> now we come to the third-class funeral, a different wagon, as you see, but also very nice. Two horses, two priests, no guns, incense, a male quartet, and a very nice grade of candles, not beeswax, but scented. But that is not for you either. And why not? Never mind. Well, I don't see why. With the fourth class funeral, we have one priest, one senior, two horses, and two altar boys, incense, and two candelabra. And in the fifth right. class funeral, yes, you get one horse, an apprentice priest, one singer, one altar boy, incense, no music, and two wooden candelabra with used candles. But that's not for you. I don't like it. <laughs> Finally, the sixth-class funeral. Here again you get the wagon, the black horse, no zinger, no altar boy, three used substitute wax candles, and a divinity student. (laughs) 
And with this funeral goes a rental coffin. I beg pardon? A rental coffin. It saves you buying one. Here is a photograph that shows you how it works. You see, the rental coffin has an ingenious device. I see. Two doors at the bottom open when a lever is pulled. Once occupied and having been carried to its destination, the coffin is opened at the bottom and the occupant is dropped into the grave. <laughs> so the rental coffin can be used over and over again. That's the sixth class, eh? Mm. Look, can you show me anything else? That is as far as we go. <laughs> Emil Kratzig was not seen again until the middle of the next night. Policeman Umlauf, standing in the center of the market square, saw a pale little man coming toward him. The man was dressed in a long white nightshirt. On his head was a top hat. Tied to it with a piece of crepe was a black plume. In his hand, he held two burning candles, and he carried a shovel under his arm. Hi there. What is your name? I am Emil Kratzig. I died last night. I'm going up to the cemetery. This is a seventh class. <laughs> Folks, if you've got rosy dreams of getting a new car when war is over, wake up. Brand new buggies will be scarce for long, long after peace rings out. In the meantime, honestly, it's staggering the way American cars are going out of service. Every day, 4,000 more cars hit the junkies. What's sending autos to the ash can in this wholesale fashion? In too many cases, absolute neglect of oil. Letting oil get worn, dirty, and thin. That, folks, leads to wear. That leads to breakdown. What's your answer? Change oil frequently and change to good, fresh mobile oil. This famous motor oil is specially processed, custom-built, to guard your engine's vital parts against corrosion, wear, and sludge formation. Mobile oil is free-flowing and protective. It clings thoroughly and works to keep your engine clean and running smoothly. Keep your car in working order. Keep it rolling. Pull over to the sign of the Flying Red Horse. Get your crankcase filled up to the full mark with the world's best seller, that Lulu of a Lubricator, Mobile Oil. Ladies and gentlemen, your radio almanac continues now with our home physician and medical guide. What says Dr. Snake Oil? Hoarseness and tickling of the throat can be relieved by gargling with a raw egg. Now, if the throat is extremely sensitive, remove the shell. Thank you, Dr. Snake Oil. And now our household hints department, Miss Prudence Pratt. When postage stamps are stuck together, you can still utilize them by passing a hot iron over them. You can then mail the iron anywhere in the United States. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Pratt. Here's an interesting item from our zoology department. Camels live to be 40 or 50 years old and can go for three days without stopping for water. W.C. Fields can do even better. And Gabriel Heater goes on in 15 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, seriously, the Constitution of the United States was declared to be in effect the first Wednesday in March, 1789. Today being the first Wednesday in March, your radio almanac turns a little solemn and suggests perhaps some thoughtful celebration. Here's a curious item. 
The Democratic Party was originally the Republican Party. You see, in Thomas Jefferson's day, there was something called the Democratic-Republican Party, and this was usually just called the Republican Party. I thought I'd make that very clear before quoting the following. Men, said Thomas Jefferson, men are naturally divided into two parties. One, those who fear and distrust the people and wish to draw all power from them into the hands of the higher classes. Two, those who identify themselves with the people and have confidence in them. In every country, these two parties exist. The appellation of aristocrats and democrats is the true one, expressing the essence of all. You understand what Jefferson means by democrat. I hope you won't think I'm campaigning for anybody when I quote from him. Whitman says, Did you too, O oh friend, suppose democracy was only for elections, for politics, and for a party name? It happens that I'm greatly interested in newspapers. I read many of them from all parts of the world, small-town newspapers, big-city newspapers, trade papers, and I even read the Wall Street Journal, and in that estimable publication, I've just come upon an editorial inquiry as to the definition of the word democracy. The writer wants to know if we, the people, know what we mean by it. He doesn't think we do. Said Abraham Lincoln, this expresses my idea of democracy, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. Why should there not be a patient confidence in the ultimate justices of the people? Is there any better or equal hope in this world? That's the way Lincoln put it, briefly and perfectly. I don't think any of us would care to admit we don't go along with that definition. Here's what Aristotle had to say on the subject over 2,000 years ago. Democracy arose from men thinking that if they are equal in any respect, they are equal absolutely. They held these truths to be self-evident, even in ancient Greece. And indeed, wherever democracy has been valued, its meaning is clear. The only arguments are about how to realize it. We have frequently printed the word democracy. This is Walt Whitman speaking again, and he's going to close the discussion. We frequently printed the word democracy, yet I cannot too often repeat that it is a word the real gist of which still sleeps quite unawakened. It's a common word whose history has yet to be enacted. I use the words America and democracy as convertible terms. America counts on the future. Our new world I consider far less important for what it has done or what it is than for results to come. I speak the password primeval. I give the sign of democracy. By God, I will accept nothing which all cannot have their counterpart of on the same terms.
trying to say goodnight now. Uh, but before I go, I'd like to mention that tomorrow is Independence Day in Texas and also Sam Houston's birthday. It's also good enough from Texas, a little hand there. It's also the birthday of Carl Schurz, who said, Ideals are like the stars. We never reach them. But like the mariners of the sea, we chart our course by them. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please join us next week. Until then, my sponsors, the makers of mobile gas and mobile oil, and Hans Conrad, John Brown, Lud Gluskin, Jack Mather, Aggie Mercury, and all of us in the Mercury, <laughs> remain as always obediently yours. of Mobile Gas and Mobile Oil invite you to listen in next week, same time, same station, to your radio almanac. Mr. Wells' guest is Lucille Ball. Victor Moore appeared to the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose current release is Lady in the Dark. Sacre de Printemps by Ludwig Bimmelman was taken from the book Small Beer, published by Viking Press. Jack Mather speaking. This is CBS, Columbia Broadcasting System. for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.